0: Hey everybody, this is Alex Montoya. I'm a second year internal medicine resident at the University of Utah, and I will be starting my colleagues and I off in speaking with you about bariatric surgery. You are scanning through a patient chart. It's a busy day in wards, and you're finally getting the hang of becoming the efficient powerhouse of a resident you've always dreamed of being. Medical history, straightforward. Social history, nothing you haven't seen before. Surgical history, tonsillectomy, cholecystectomy, and weight loss surgery. Many of us as clinicians have cared for patients with a history of bariatric surgery before, but in the busy environments that have become standard for our field, how many of us have truly had the opportunity to take the time to understand the additional considerations and cares that may be necessary for best addressing the needs of our post-bariatric surgery population? Well, you've come to the right place. According to the statistics released by the American Society for Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery, as of 2019, approximately 260,000 bariatric surgeries are performed annually in the United States. Multiple organizations have weighed in on the criteria for candidacy for these surgeries, including the NIH and the American Diabetes Association. And much like all things in medicine, these criteria are frequently evolving. The most long-standing consensus between these organizations suggests that a consideration of these operations may be beneficial in patients with a BMI of 40 or greater or those with a BMI of 35 or greater with an obesity-related comorbidity. Multiple studies have demonstrated both a greater improvement in metabolic and cardiovascular risk factors after weight loss surgery compared with medical or behavioral therapy alone and have also shown a reduced all-course mortality in obesity-related health conditions, these studies have also shown that patients report an increased quality of life and improved social functioning. These procedures are both prevalent and relevant, so let's talk about it.
1: Now that we've gone through some introductions, as well as a clinical vignette, let's get into definitions and important aspects of care in the early postoperative period. MBS, also known as metabolic and bariatric surgery, includes a number of procedures. Many of these are no longer common, including things like the duogenial ileal bypass and laparoscopic band. And for the last decade, over 90% of MBS procedures are either a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass or laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomies. A Roux-en-Y procedure separates the stomach so that the Patients have a small pouch at the base of their esophagus that is then anastomosed to the small intestine, and the remaining portion of the stomach creates a more distal anastomosis at the duodenum. By comparison, a sleeve gastrectomy removes a portion of the stomach entirely, leaving the lesser curvature intact in a smaller sleeve-like form. Previously, MBS procedures were split into a dichotomy of malabsorptive versus restrictive-based procedures, However, this terminology is no longer used, as both these primary procedures facilitate weight loss by creating changes in the neurohormonal signaling process. Now let's discuss some important aspects and complications that can occur in the early post-op period of care. MBS is associated with some post-op complications, especially in the first month following the procedure. It is important to have collaborative care between primary care providers, the surgical team, gastroenterologists, dietitians, mental health providers, and all members of a patient's care team in order to maintain patient safety. As far as the procedures themselves, for both types of commonly used MBS, they are well-tolerated procedures as a whole. Mortality for Roux and Y is about 0.4% and 0.2% for sleeve gastrectomies, and less than 5% of either procedure will require reoperation in the immediate post-operative time period. Over a couple of days following the procedure, there are a few red flag signs or symptoms that providers should be looking out for. This includes otherwise unexplained tachycardia, fevers, severe worsening abdominal pain, as well as leukocytosis. Any of these should prompt immediate surgical consultation due to concern for anastomotic or staple line link, a serious complication of either Roux-en-Y or sleeve gastrectomy. Other significant concerns in the days following the procedure include intraabdominal bleeding, early post-operative bowel obstruction, constipation, and pain with too large of meals. While patients adjust to their new anatomy, it's important to consider and keep an eye out for the clinical signs of dehydration. This includes considering what patients may need maintenance fluids. About 4% of patients will require maintenance fluids to safely adjust to this post-operative period. In patients who experience significant early satiety, dysphagia, or nausea may have this increased requirement. Additionally, it's important to remember that physiologic ketosis could worsen dehydration via diuresis. Management in these few days following the MBS procedure includes a staged meal progression, encouraging hydration via slow titration up to over 1.5 liters of clear liquids per day, and aggressively staying on top of constipation and nausea regimens to ensure that patients are healing well. Within five days of surgery, patients should be started on a bariatric multivitamin, preferably a chewable one. Close follow-up for these patients is extremely important to monitor their progress over time. Appointments should be scheduled at one week, one month, three months, six months, 12 months, and then annually following that. For the primary care provider, it's especially important to note that over time, management of your patient's chronic conditions will change in response to their MBS procedure. As patients lose weight and undergo physiologic changes to their comorbid conditions, you will have to adjust how you approach these management techniques. For patients that had type 2 diabetes prior to MBS, this new accelerated delivery of nutrients to the small intestine will impact their pancreatic beta cell secretion as well as their insulin sensitivity, and it will rapidly improve within days of the procedure, even before your patient sees clinical work weight loss. Due to the concern for hypoglycemia, it is essential that you discontinue sulfonylureas, meglitinides, SGLT2 inhibitors, and thiazolidinediones, and safely restart patients on metformin as well as GLP-1 agonists due to low concerns for hypoglycemia. For patients who are insulin-dependent diabetics, prescribe lower doses than they were taking pre-op and schedule close follow-up to monitor their needs. Patients who are type 1 diabetics require close monitoring of both their glucose levels and their insulin dosing due to the risk of diabetic ketoacidosis that occurs in 15% of patients post-MBS and hypoglycemia that can occur in up to 23% of patients following an MBS procedure. For patients that were hypertensive prior to their procedure, it is discouraged to preemptively discontinue antihypertensive regimens, but you can anticipate rapid resolution of prior hypertension. Continue patients on their medication regimen but supply them with a home blood pressure cuff so you can monitor their changing pressures and adjust accordingly. It is encouraged to resume patients' hyperlipidemia medications within the first month following their procedures. For patients with a prior history of frequent gout flares, consider postoperative prophylactic gout medications as the fluid shifts following the procedure could precipitate a flare. Finally, for patients undergoing MBS who previously had issues with their thyroid, their levels may change post-MBS procedure and is essential for primary care providers to monitor them closely.
2: Before I delve into the common and less common nutritional deficiencies following bariatric surgery, there are a few general approaches to recommend to patients to help avoid gastrointestinal symptoms such as reflux, constipation, and extreme hunger, as well as optimize nutritional intake. We should remind patients following their surgery to eat their meals slowly, chew food extensively, and stop intake when satiated. Eating three small, balanced, high-protein meals with healthy snacks as needed can prevent extreme hunger. And consumption of 1.5 liters of fluid per day, half of which at least from clear fluids, can prevent dehydration and reduce constipation. In addition, regular exercise and maintenance of at least five servings of fruits and vegetables per day can further prevent constipation. Now, what are the dietary and nutritional issues to keep in mind following bariatric surgery? Although both patients undergoing sleeve gastrectomies and Ruin y bypass surgery are susceptible to multiple nutritional deficiencies, many deficiencies are generally more common in Ruin y bypass patients. Common nutritional complications following bariatric surgery include protein calorie deficiency and deficiencies of iron, vitamin A, folate, vitamin B12, calcium and vitamin D, thiamine, and zinc. Less commonly, deficiencies of copper, vitamins E and K, and selenium can develop. A few of these deserve special mention. First, it's important to recognize that protein calorie deficiency can happen following bariatric surgery. Weight loss involves loss of muscle mass, and thus adequate protein intake is paramount. Guidelines recommend at least 60 grams of protein or up to 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. Protein intake can be supported using readily available supplements and meal replacements found in community grocery stores. Second, iron deficiency is common after bariatric surgery due to a variety of reasons, including underlying obesity, changes to iron absorption, and interactions with foods and medications. Long term protein pump inhibitor use, calcium supplements, Certain dietary plant compounds and concurrent zinc deficiency all can impair iron absorption, and so it's important to take iron supplements at a different time than calcium and plant based meals and correct any underlying zinc deficiency. Third, vitamin B12 deficiency occurs in up to half of patients undergoing bariatric surgery. Concurrent use of metformin, proton pump inhibitors, and colchicine, all of which are commonly used in obesity related conditions, can worsen vitamin B12 deficiency. Fourth, the lipid-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K are commonly affected by bariatric surgery. Deficiencies of vitamins E and K are more specific to roux and Y gastric bypass. However, deficiencies of vitamins A and D are common in both types of bariatric surgery. Vitamin D is particularly important because it's intertwined with calcium metabolism. And vitamin D deficiency worsens calcium absorption following bariatric surgery. This results in secondary hyperparathyroidism, hypophosphatemia, and increased bone turnover, as well as nephrolithiasis, which is exacerbated by increased oxalate reabsorption and hyperoxaluria that commonly happen following bariatric surgery as well. Although there is a mild reduction in bone mineral density and estimated bone strength following the en y gastric bypass in particular, there is no definitive data to support an increased fracture risk. Nevertheless, routine evaluation of bone mineral density using DEXA scans is recommended two years after all bariatric surgery procedures. Next up is thymine deficiency, which can occur as early as four weeks after Roux-en-Y gastric bypass and affect up to 60% of patients undergoing this procedure. Risk factors for thymine deficiency include protracted vomiting, parenteral nutrition, constipation, excess alcohol use, female sex, and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Finally, zinc deficiency can occur in up to 37% of patients, especially after Roux-en-Y gastric bypass, and patients present with diarrhea and dermatitis. It's important to note that zinc supplementation can lead to concurrent copper deficiency, and thus checking copper and seroloplasma should be considered. So, how do we approach screening in these patients? During the first year of following surgery, there are four time points at which we perform routine screening. At one month, we check a complete blood count with iron studies, and a comprehensive metabolic panel along with vitamin D, intact parathyroid hormone, and a TSH if the patient is on thyroid replacement therapy, as absorption of thyroid medications is also commonly affected and may need adjustment. At 3 and 6 months, we check the same tests in addition to vitamin B12. And at 12 months, we check a complete blood count with iron studies, vitamins A, D, and B12. And in patients with ruin en y gastric bypass, we also check vitamins E and K, copper and seroloplasmin. Following the first year, we annually check vitamins A and D, a complete blood count with iron studies, and in patients with roux y gastric bypass, copper and seroloplasmin. We also routinely check a DEXA scan at two years in all patients undergoing bariatric surgery. And of course, we check for any of these nutritional deficiencies at any time point if there is clinical concern based on signs and symptoms.
3: Bariatric surgery is effective. Patients tend to lose between 25 and 35% of their pre-surgery weight by one year after surgery. However, by this time, a year after surgery, resting energy expenditure stabilizes, and about 30% of patients can experience clinically important weight regain. Principles to maintain weight loss and prevent weight regain are largely the same as before bariatric surgery. They center around lifestyle changes such as healthy diet, good exercise, quality sleep, reduced stress. Other strategies include reducing or eliminating medications that promote weight regain, such as antidepressants, steroids, or insulin, and using anti-obesity medications. PCPs can also refer patients to weight management clinics or structured weight loss programs. Let's talk about the management of obesity-related conditions after bariatric surgery. Patients with type 2 diabetes will usually experience improved glycemic control. Their sugars should be closely monitored for the first six months for medication adjustments. Guidelines recommend stopping insulin and sulfonylureas if present as these medications promote weight gain. Patients with hypertension will also see improved blood pressures and will often need their antihypertensives either decreased or stopped altogether. Patients with obstructive sleep apnea usually experience an improvement as well. Clinicians should pursue a follow-up sleep study after about 20% of weight has been lost. Patients with hypothyroidism tend to need decreased doses of their levothyroxine, so TSH should be closely watched. Bariatric surgery helps many chronic conditions, but it can cause its own disorders. Ruin y patients have decreased rates of GERD, but 20-30% to 30% of sleeve gastrectomy patients can get GERD after their surgery. These patients should be given high-dose PPIs and referred to endoscopy for surveillance endoscopies. Another common post-surgery complication are marginal ulcers at anastomosis sites. These can present at any time. They present as abdominal pain, bleeding, or dysphagia, and should be diagnosed with endoscopy. They are treated with high-dose PPIs, sucrophate, and sometimes surgical revision. Up to 10% of patients can have gallstones after surgery. Guidelines recommend prophylactic treatment with ursodeoxycholic acid for six months after their surgery. Dumping syndrome can be experienced by nearly half of patients. It is caused by rapid nutrient delivery to the jejunum which causes vasoactive agents and insulin to be released. It presents as GI symptoms of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea or fullness, and vasomotor symptoms of flushing or diaphrases or fainting that occur less than 60 minutes after eating. Patients can avoid dumping syndrome by eating smaller and more frequent meals. High-protein, low-carbohydrate foods may also help. Lying down after meals may also be beneficial. Patients can also use somatostatin analogs such as octreotide. Closely related to dumping syndrome is postprandial hypoglycemia, or late dumping syndrome. About 10% of patients may experience this. Late dumping syndrome is caused by insulin dysregulation, causing large insulin spikes after meals. This leads to symptomatic hypoglycemia. It is very common for patients to experience small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO, after their bariatric surgery, up to 70% of patients can experience this. SIBO is caused by decreased acid secretion and intestinal dysmotility. This allows bacteria to overproliferate. It presents as nausea, vomiting, bloating, diarrhea, and sometimes abdominal pain. Probiotics may help with some of the less concerning symptoms, such as bloating, but GI referral is recommended for definitive diagnosis and further management. When should patients be referred out of their primary care clinic? PCPs should refer patients to a surgery team if the patients continue to have symptoms even if following general dietary recommendations. Generally, patients are recommended to eat high-protein foods and avoid foods with concentrated fats or sugars. They should also be counseled to eat smaller, more frequent meals and chew their food thoroughly. A dietitian referral may be useful for some patients. Clinicians should also stay observant for body image concerns in patients and refer patients to mental health if needed. Clinicians should also stay vigilant for weight gain and refer these patients to obesity medicine for further weight loss interventions.